1: Hello and welcome to another Britflips podcast. My name's Stuart Wright and today I'm speaking to writer-director Sean Hogan. Hello. Hello, Sean. Right then, for those that don't know who Sean, o- Sean Hogan is... Um, How dare they? <laughs> do you want to tell us a little, a little brief sort of film history, film history of what uh, just films you've done? So we, what um, films are we going to hunt out for?
2: Well, uh, I had a film come out last year called uh, The Devil's Business. Um, which was actually um, the third film I've done, but the first one to get a UK release due to lots of weird and wonderful film industry factors. Um, My first film was uh, a movie called Lie Still, which I did in about 2005, I think, which has kind of come out a lot of places other than the UK. And then I wrote a couple of other films, which I prefer not to talk about unless I'm really drunk. Or in a very bad mood. Um, And then I did a film, an anthology movie called Little Deaths, uh, which was actually shot the same year as The Devil's Business, but is actually coming out after it, uh, because that's the way things work. Um, And I guess that's what we're mainly here to talk about. We'll talk a
1: bit about that, yes. So, thinking about when the writing and or directing book bit you, what what in your mind do you remember being a, a film, a play, a novel, a comic... That represents a sort of tipping point in your consciousness that you wanted to become a writer or another director.
2: It's weird. I don't, I don't know if, know if really know if there was a tipping point. I mean, with, with me, it was I always liked writing, like writing stories and stuff. And, and I always liked art. Um, and I love movies, but when I was a kid, making movies was not anything anyone you knew did. Um, It was just kind of like that was another world. Mm. So I think I got as far as like at one point maybe wanting to be an effects artist. And I remember like writing a letter to Bob Keane who did the effects for like Hellraiser and stuff like that. And sort of saying, how do I get into this? And they sent me a very nice letter back saying, this is what you should do. And you know, you should build up a portfolio and do this and do that. Um, And I I think I was like, I was either at, at art school at the time or looking to go to art school. Um, uh, but then what happened was, is that I, you know, I, I went to art school and hated it and, and also kind of discovered that I actually probably wasn't good enough at art. Was that uh, fine art course? Yeah, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was a bit of everything. Um, it was sort of like art and sculpture and, and okay. design, and graphic design and, and, but I kind of got there and hated it and, and really just kind of thought this is not for me. And, and also I kind of think this is probably, you know, probably not where my strengths lie. Um, and the only thing I did that like, I liked in the year that I was there was make a video. We just got our hands on some video equipment and just, like, goofing around and made a short short film. Um, and that was kind of the seed, really. And then after that, I was sort of like, you know, I got an ultimatum from my parents saying, all right, you've pissed around for a year, but now you need to sort of figure out what you're going to do. Um, and I was just looking around for, for, for courses I could do. And I stumbled across this course, which was... Um, which was theatre-based, but had a film component. Yeah. And I was like, well, I always liked drama and film, you know. I get to go and watch films. Um, so, you know, I kind of signed up for it. And that was, that more than anything was the tipping point. It was just, you know, um, getting to make videos and stuff. Okay. You know, I was there, you know, literally within the first few months of being there and like making my first couple of videos, I was like, this is it, this is what I want to do. And I just came out of that course and I was like, I don't want to do anything else. I don't care how hard it is. This is what I want to do. What was it, what was it you thought that you picked up and learned in that in that it, was just, it wasn't necessarily being taught anything. It was just actually for the first time having access to that kind of equipment and realising that everything I was interested in, like as in you know, telling stories and, and, you know, and, and drama and all this kind of thing, and, you know, and, and films in a wider sense, because I'd always loved movies, yeah. it was just like I could combine everything that I'd always liked. Into this one thing, you know, I could write scripts, yeah, and then I could film them, and you know, I could use what little visual sense I had to try and visualize how that visualize how they should be filmed, and I, you know, I could work with actors and all this kind of thing, which is all stuff I liked doing, and then they just kind of all came together. So yeah, after that, I was like, alright this is it. <laughs> and then spent a very long time struggling to try and make the first reel. But you know, the uh, well, I'm pretty stubborn, so once I'd kind of decided what I wanted to do, that was that was it. Okay. okay. So from from a writing point of view then um and, and,
1: and obviously script script writing being that bit different from um from traditional sort of novel writing and stuff what would what, what's like a best bit of writing advice that you've you've received or you've you, you think you've sort of captured for yourself that you'd be at pains to point out to an aspiring writer
2: well i mean I would tend to agree that you can't really teach anyone how to write you can teach them techniques and you can teach them you know bits and pieces and technical things but if you you can kind of either write or you can't um so but what i would say is that a write a lot keep writing yeah um i remember reading somewhere that you have to it's something like it's kind of received wisdom that you need to write about six screenplays before you'll write one that's like halfway decent. I, and I would probably subscribe to that. I think that's pretty much what I did. Yeah. I think I had about sort of six screenplays gathering dust before I came up with something that someone wanted to make. Um, so it's just, it's just not practice your craft. Um, because screenplays are all about, you know, they're, they're about structure and they're about dialogue. And you've got to learn what's... how structure works and... You need to sort of hone your dialogue, and, the, and you know, and the best way to do that is just keep writing it, and then hear people saying it. Because if you hear people, someone saying dialogue you've written and it's terrible, you'll know damn soon because the act will either be like, "I can't say this shit," or <laughs> <coughs> or else you'll listen to it and just go, "Oh my god, that's awful." Um, but I'd, I'd also say read a lot. You know, I mean, I read. Um, I mean, read read screenplays, but you know, make sure you read good ones because there are a lot of terrible ones but also read playwrights. i mean that's what i did because if you want to know how to write dialogue then you know read Harold Pinter read Mamet you know that's i just like read their stuff voraciously and just sort of studied about you know how they constructed words and speech and what subtext was and, and all this kind of thing
1: i feel that's a weakness for me i i, I struggle to read plays right because there's obviously not as much detail on the page even though a screenplay is, is 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 sketchy compared to a novel? Yeah, but a play, it's basically one room and then some talking happens.
2: But it's about what the people are saying to each other. No, That's I, the I, thing. I, it's like I think a lot of screenplays, it's like the dialogue is just nonsense, and this yeah, is because yeah. no one's really concentrating on what people are saying. Mm. You know, so it's just kind of, you know, I, I think um, Bruce Robinson once said a lot of screenplays he reads a lot like gin and tonic writing because it's someone sits down and goes would you like a gin and And the other one goes, yes, please. And then the other one goes, would you, like, would you like lemon with that? And then they go, yes, please. And it's just, you know, it's just that kind of writing. Yeah, but uh, subtext. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Um, so, yeah, but that's basically what I'd say is just write a lot and, and read a lot. And how, what
1: would you describe your sort of writing process or habit to be like? Are you a kind of, early riser burn the midnight oil or? Um,
2: I'm getting too old now to burn midnight oil um, I do I do tend to get up and sort of get cracking fairly quickly my thing is and everyone has different writing processes and it kind of what works for you may not work for someone else I tend to have an idea of where I'm going I'll I'll always kind of have a structure mapped out mm. I'll know what my beats are within a script and, and once I've got that and I'll spend a while thinking about that uh, once I've got that, I tend to write pretty quickly. Mm. I'll write sort of ten, fifteen pages a day and just kind of muscle through it. Okay. Um, okay. You know, there are some days when it's <clears throat> when it's hard and for whatever reason it's kind of you know you're not hearing it. But I mean, the last script I wrote, I literally just kind of went away to the middle of nowhere for a week and just had no distractions and bashed mm. it out. And I so I had it. I had the structure laid out, so I just literally got up every morning. Wrote for a few hours, had lunch, wrote for a few more hours, and I wrote a script in a week. Well,
1: just a second so you but before you writing the script, then so your 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 focus is on a good outline, then in terms of yeah, because it's the structure,
2: you know, the, the structure is where you've got to start with the script. Okay. It's like if that structure doesn't work, then you haven't got a script. You've okay. got to you've got to figure out how best to tell that story and what the scenes are, because okay. that's the that's your roadmap. And then it's sort of like you should, you know, obviously you sit down, and you should know who your characters are. But what often I find is that. I'll start writing the characters and that's when they really kind of find their voice. Mm. You know, they start speaking to each other and then, you know, it's like you're a loon and you've got these different voices in your head and they're all talking to each other and, Mm. you know, if it's going well, then the voices are clear and you get them down on the page and boom, you know, you've got a a story and you've got characters. Uh, And then sometimes they take over and sometimes, you know, you should never be afraid of deviating from your outline if something better comes up while you're writing. You suddenly go, that character wouldn't do that there. And so okay. you should never be afraid of sort of veering off if it feels right. but but generally that's kind of I I like to know where I'm going. Okay. Well, like you said earlier, we
1: we we sat down here to uh, to talk to look at the is it is it DVD release of Little Deaths? So it is it is DVD, yeah. Yeah. And in Blu-ray as well. Uh, no, I don't. I don't even think it's getting a Blu-ray. Okay, so DVD release of Little Deaths, which is a. Th- 3 three, um, three-part anthology. But it's, I mean, would you call? Would you say is it, it's not an anthology in the sense that it's a kind of linking?
2: We 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 decided to theme. St- we, we decided to stay away from the whole linking device. It's thematically, it's yeah. you know, it, it's an anthology, and they, the, the stories relate to each other in that mm. sense. But we kind of decided to stay away from the whole framing story just because we thought it was a bit old hat, and also we didn't really think it would work for this mm. film because the stories are thematically connected but don't necessarily take place in a kind of similar universe yeah
1: so do you want to talk about about
2: what your contribution was then Um. Uh, yeah um, my episode which is the opening episode is um, is a story called House and Home which is um, basically about uh, the haves and have nots Um, it's a story about a sort of well to do middle-class couple who prey on homeless girls um, and and sort of lure them back to their house with a promise of food and a warm bath and all this kind of thing and then uh, do unspeakable things to them. Um, But in this case, they pick the wrong homeless girl. Mm -hmm. And it's very much just kind of a sort of... uh, it's almost, almost kind of like a Romero-esque thing about the underclass rising up to you know, to take on the uh, the ruling class. That kind of sort of Marxist horror. Um, there is a
1: sense of there is a sense of no, 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 no. When when you know when somebody's getting picked up, like, and you're watching what is yeah. in in the in the, the genre of horror, you're thinking this isn't going to turn out well for this. And then obviously,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it was it was kind of interesting. It was it was before the whole. Uh, a lot of the whole kind of global economic crisis set in, but I think it was definitely when I sit down and sat down and write it, there was definitely a sense of that with the way was the way that the wind was blowing. And I think sadly, it's kind of just as true now. as it I was, was going to say those people it. are still very yes, good. yeah, yeah, if
1: yeah. You, if you take your film as an <laughs> as an analogy of now, yeah, literally, exactly. exactly.
2: You. So you know, if you like seeing rich banker assholes being uh, being uh, having getting their comeuppance, then you know it's the film for you. So that's uh, that's uh, I think that's a, I think. Take your inspiration from real life as a girl. <laughs>
1: Now, now I, I, I told you. I told, I'll read. I'll, I'll I'll tell the listener. Um, my favourite quote I read about Little Deaths was, and it's quite apt actually, given given what uh, the BBFC have done all we'll the talk about that at the moment. Um, is it, it, the semen is the glue that binds these three little sh- three.
2: <laughs> three shorts. <laughs> I have not actually seen that review. That's uh, that's yeah, a pretty good one. Was, um,
1: and, 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 and I read that before I got the email from you earlier today. It, yes. When it, I read, it, what it was from, it was before the glue got taken out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, because it, I mean, look, for, for the listener, that, that all three are. Around sex and death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, what, yeah,
0: it's the, the,
2: the, the 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 thematic linking of the film is it was all about sex and horror, and that was kind of something that was decided fairly early on. It was kind of it was accidental, really. We just initially we had no plan. We just said we were going to do something together, and then we all went off and came back with these stories. So
1: the project was first, and the the, the screenplay came second. Yes. Oh, okay, okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. We just we just decided that we were going to do an anthology because when we first started talking about it, there hadn't been one for a while. You mm. know, this is the other thing about it. It's like when we if we'd have made this film when we first. Spoke about it, we would have beat all of these other anthologies into into production. You know, yeah. it just took a long time to make, and then it's taken a long time to come out in the UK. It's kind of been out in the rest of the world for like mm. the last year or two.
1: I got that from yeah, from reading reviews. And yeah, stuff. yeah.
2: So you know, unfortunately, <clears throat> it's kind of a bit behind the curve in that sense. But we started it a long time ago. But yeah, we literally said we're gonna we're gonna do an anthology. There hasn't been one of those for a while. And we all just went away and came back to the table with our story ideas, and it was like all of a sudden, boom, there it was. It was like for whatever reason we all had these stories that were sort of being quite visceral in your face with yeah. sort of sex and horror. So we kind of ran with it. Um, but yeah, the BBFC. Uh, well, I mean I mean this film I mean this is we shot it in 2010, and I'm here talking to you about it now, three years later. So I kinda of, in a sense I feel like I've been working on it for three years and it it took about two or three years to actually make happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this film's taken up a big chunk of my life and been nothing but a nightmare in every respect, I have to say. Um, I had a really good time shooting it, but aside from that, it's just been horrific. Um... I was I was happy to hear that the film was finally coming out in the UK because it was meant to come out originally. Sort of after we finished it, we had a deal set up, and then but but largely because of all the legal shenanigans, it fell apart with the original distributor, Mm. and sort of came out in the rest of the world in a cut version, which the sales agent themselves prepared the cut version. They insisted on having a cut version, which was originally only meant to be offered as an alternative to the director's cut, Mm. Um, but. Uh, they went it again, went, went against the the spirit of the deal and just basically offered everyone the cut version. So even though, for instance, it was released unrated in the states, which yeah. which meant you could have released anything, they still released the cut version, which was always amazingly infuriating to me. That's weird. Yeah, <laughs> which is just you know, absolutely <laughs> redundant, completely redundant. I've heard rumours that the uncut version is in, it was released in Canada, and I and I've not seen it to to verify that. I kind of hope that's the case because if so, that's going to be the only way you can see the uncut version. Yeah. Because so when when word came through about the UK deal, um. I was very happy because, I, you know, I know the distributor and they said that they were going to put out the uncut version and it was going to be the best edition of the film that it had been because we were going, it was going to have a documentary on it which has barely been seen and we were going to do a director's commentary for it and all this kind of thing. I was like, finally, the director's cut comes out and we can do a nice edition of it and put this film to bed. Um, and, you know, ironically, um, I'd spoken to someone i know i know one of the senior examiners at the bbfc and um sort of informally spoken to him a few years back and said he'd read the script before we even shot the thing and then he'd seen the cut of the film and we finished it and uh, at all points he said you shouldn't have a problem with this as long as you're responsible about <coughs> when he read the script, he was like, these, these are the areas I'd flag up. And as long as you're responsible about them and it's not kind of leering and focusing on jiggling breasts and whatever, then you should be OK. And then he saw the film and he was like, I, I think you'll be fine. I don't I don't see a problem with this. Mm. This was a few years back. Fast forward to us submitting it. And all of a sudden I get an email from the distributor saying there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And the problem is with my episode. Um and it had been referred to a senior examiner and then it was referred upstairs to the president of the BBFC. Why was it? And I'm just sitting there going, it's got to to 1984." It, it really is. I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, I've, I <laughs> no, yeah, I've never been through this before. <laughs> um, and then yeah, I finally get word that they've demanded four separate cuts to one scene. I mean, and and the rest of the film will be uncut. It's just it's just my episode's been singled out. And and yes, it deals with sexual violence and 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 to be honest if i I'm not sure I'd make this film now because when we first started planning it, there hadn't been much stuff like this around in recent years there's been a lot of horror movies that focus on rape and all this kind of thing and i'm and I'm as sick of it as a lot of people are and i I don't think it's a substitute for horror and I think it's too easy and I think it's a lot of them have been very irresponsible and exploitational um you know but so I'm not sure I'd do anything like this now, but when I did it, you know I did it. I, I tried to be as sort of responsible as I could. Mm. And, you know, if you see the film and you see that scene, it's very, for the most part, very stylised. It yeah, uses it
1: being that exploitative it, in the sense that yeah, we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, you know, it
2: uses a lot of filters and stuff like that. You don't actually see all that much, certainly in terms of nudity and whatever else. But what they took exception to were the various bodily fluids yeah. that were being chucked around. Um, and what was most ludicrous to me was that not that you couldn't you couldn't you just it's not just that you couldn't see these things happen you weren't allowed to see them you can't even hear them. Wow. So, yeah, there's a scene. You know, to put it bluntly, there's there's a scene where this guy urinates all over this girl, and one of them, and the cut comes back saying remove sight of him urinating on her, but remove all sounds of him urinating mm. on her as well. And I'm like, well, this is, this is crazy. This is just going f- so far beyond anything I ever expected because it's like you can't even suggest anything off screen now. It's like this is so far beyond the pale, you can't even hear it happening. It,
1: if, it, I, mean, it's amazing. I mean, I watched ABC's A Death.
2: Yeah, exactly. Which is the same distributor, Monster, which released ABC's is releasing Little Death. Yeah, and yeah, they, yeah. and they, ABC's went through uncut. And they, so they were quite confident. They were like, well, ABC's went through uncut, so we're not and anticipating you any sound problems.
1: Off camera. Of a boy getting yeah. getting shagged by a boat, yeah. it's, yeah. it's definitely it's definitely set up, yeah. and then goes off camera. But yeah. you know what the noise of a creaking yeah. bed is? Yeah,
2: but that's apparently okay, and this isn't. You well, know, why um, you and I'm I'm really deeply angry about it because you know I just think it's it's ludicrous that you can't you're apparently not allowed to deal with this sort of subject matter. You know, I you know I understand that. You can you can look at some of this stuff and go well that's just exploitative and whatever else and mm. I'm not saying I agree with it but I look at certain films and I go I understand why this was cut yeah. um, given the restrictions that we operate under in this country but I mean I can honestly sit here and say to you look this 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 is a you know this, there's no one you, there's no way you can look at this film and say there isn't a moral framework in this story it's pretty clear cut mm. so to say that we're in any way endorsing these actions or you know that these these are somehow to be enjoyed. I think is ludicrous.
1: No, no the context of the story yeah. certainly makes that clear.
2: But for whatever uh, reason, the BBC BBFC have decided that you just cannot see or so hear w- these things.
1: So those so that, those points they've raised, as it were, with the sales agent and consequently obviously with you, because if you're taking me, there's no dialogue there. That is simply you need to do this.
2: Um I think. Essentially, for this film, there will be no dialogue. Um, You can, there is a right of appeal with the BBFC, but it's not in a distributor's interest to appeal unless it's a big film. Yeah. You know, with this film, they've got their release date. They want to make their release date. They don't want to push that back. You know, they appealed it with Human Centipede 2 because it was a a notorious enough film that it was worth their while. Yeah. Um, But with this, I really don't think it's worth their while to appeal it. I mean, I I would love to, but it's just not a big enough film for them to be bothered about it. So all I get to do is kind of you know come on interviews like this and bitch about it. <laughs> so do you do you get to do that cut, or does
1: somebody does that, does somebody take that out and you look? up
2: I'm it? assuming it will be done without me. I um, I've not been consulted anymore as yet um, because the original softer cut, which we prepared for the sales agent, I did actually prepare because then uh, because it was just essentially just a case of um, all right, instead of showing this, I'll stay on their face for a bit longer. So the film itself was actually you no know, shorter. I didn't cut anything out. It was just things happening off screen. Of but in this case, you can't do that. There's like whole chunks that are going to have to come out. And really, you know, looking through that cuts list, I just, I, I just look at it and go, the, the scene is going to be like nonsensical. Yeah, yeah it, I it was going to say, the... Uh, well, he starts, I mean, part of the point, of like when, he, when, he, when he pisses on the girl, part of the point is that these, these guys, these people have set themselves up as religious do-gooders and then he, he urinates on this girl and he recites the baptism prayer which is kind of, you know, blasphemous, but goes, goes you know, highlights the fact that these are not actually religious people. Um, and I think in the cut version, the UK cut version, he's probably going to start reciting the prayer and then it's just going to cut away and it's like it's going to have no context for it whatsoever. It's like, well, why is he coming out with this stuff? You know, that's the way it reads to me in the cuts list. And, I, and I, it's just horrific for me to sort of know the film's finally coming out here and it's, and it's just going to be nonsense.
1: Yeah, and it is, it literally is just that kind of three, two, three minute section, isn't it? Where
2: they yeah. Go, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I'm mean, pretty gutted about that, really, because <laughs> after you wait years for it to come out, and then you think, oh, God. So let's
1: talk about more pleasant things. Yes, right? let's so, do that. Now, you're, now, before we, off off mic, before we started talking, you were talking about your 2000 AD documentary. Yes. So you're directing that,
2: yeah? I'm actually a producer on it. I'm not directing it. Yeah, that was a friend of mine, a guy called Paul Goodwin, who I've known for like 20 odd years. Um, Just We were having a beer late last year and he turned around to me and he's like, you know what I really want to do? You know what I can't believe has never been done is a documentary on 2000 AD. And I was just sort of like, yes, and I will help you do that. Because it's just like it's very rare where someone just says to you a perfect idea and you go that's it. And the moment he said it, I was like, yes. Why has no one done that? Let's do that. Yeah. So I've just kind of like helped bring it into the world. I was I was the initial midwife bringing it bringing it in and helping it be born. Um, so yeah, we've been we've been shooting it now for about six months, um, and we've done a lot of stuff. We've got a lot more left to do, but we've got some of the big 2018 names in the bag. Um, it's going to be great, it's going to be the definitive documentary on 2000AD, oh, yeah. uh, both about the comic and about the influence it's had on pop culture at large, oh, yeah. and, and on you know, the comics field and everything, um, and we're trying to basically get everyone we can in it, and, oh, yeah. and so far 99% of people have spoken to us and are very happy to speak to us, so oh, yeah. our only problem is going to be cutting the bastard thing down to a manageable length, because we've <laughs> got so, so much good footage already. So 12 volumes of, of 2000 yeah, yeah with, I think the, there, the there was, was, one day there is going to be a lot of um, a lot of bonus material and possibly a longer cut if we can persuade anyone to put it out and is that is got thing.
1: veto on that then or is, is there going to be a lot harder
2: there there is no veto because we own it so uh, we've got a lot of distributors interested in it yeah. um and certainly you know it's, it's been it's been mooted that there might be different cuts of it uh, and all this kind of thing um, but essentially we can do whatever we like with it at this moment in time right. until we sell it so um, and we're not rushing into that because yeah. we don't have to Course, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's called uh, Thrill Power: The Story of 2000 AD. And um, yeah, if anyone's interested in following the progress, then they can go find it on Facebook and go to the website and whatever else. And yeah. uh, we're sort of updating regularly. And when, there should be a there should be a teaser trailer coming soon. I think we're we probably okay. going to show something at Fright Fest, so that'll end up oh, online. And and then, yeah, the closer it's, it gets towards being done, we'll probably start posting tidbits and all that kind of thing. But you know, there is a blog at the moment, so we're posting sort of photos and, and little random odds and sorts. So uh, so yeah, that'll be hopefully around this time next year that'll be ready. Um but it's yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun.
1: So now you were telling me earlier that you've 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 hit upon a script idea that people seem to like. So is How other- did that happen? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, I guess it's to throw enough shit at a wall and some of it will stick. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that? What what is that? And how did that? Can you tell us what it is? Is,
1: is, is that? Um, it's
2: yeah. It's called it's called No Man's Land. It's okay. um, it's a horror movie set in World War One in okay. the trenches. Um, and yeah, it was kind of very random. It was just um, uh, I just well yeah. There were certain, there were certain factors involved, but basically my you know my producer spoke to me about an idea and I said I don't like the idea but I like the setting mm. and, and I like the world I like it was, I think it was it was something about you know zombies from World War 1 or whatever and I was like yeah yeah and I like zombies uh, and it wasn't set in World War 1 but um, I was like I like the idea of doing something in World War 1 mm. and she was like well why don't you come up with something and I was like alright mm so I just went Gauntlet away gone and was thrown down yeah um, there's a challenge alright I'll, I'll see what I can do um, and so I kind of went away and I came, came up with this story and we pitched it to a couple of people um, and yeah as you, it was just one of those times where people go yeah I like that idea because I see the script um, and people just thought it was, you know, the dreaded word commercial. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh. commercial just means it makes more money than it costs. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a sort of taint. <laughs> I know, but I, you know, <laughs> but, it, but it's just, I've been, I've been beat with the, the bat of uncommercialism all over my head for so many times. It's just kind of like, oh, you mean I've come up with a commercial idea? Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I just went away and wrote it. Um like I said, went away for a week and just bashed it out, and yeah, I mean, at this moment in time, there's a lot of interest in it, so fingers crossed we'll get to do that early next year. I mean, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's definitely unlike anything I've done, but it's, in, it's, it's, it's you know, anyone who's seen Devil's Business knows that it's very small scale and was, you know, deliberately designed to be that way. This is more expansive, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's set in the trenches, it's got soldiers, it's got... War and whatever else in it, but it's still you know it's still character driven. It's still hopefully got good dialogue and interesting stuff. It's still, a horror, it. it's still a horror. It's still a horror movie. movie. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's just it's just set somewhere you know okay, a cool. bit different. Um, but I'm you know I'm really looking forward to it. It was it was a lot of fun to from write from a
1: writing point of view. Then how did you find writing something obviously from a time you're not from? Um, how did you go? About I did that? a
2: certain amount of I did a certain amount of research on it um, actually. So anyone who is comics fan is interested in the 2000 AD documentary um, we'd interviewed Pat Mills who started 2000 AD but also wrote a long running World War 1 strip called Charlie's War mm-hmm. for Battle Comic and I'm we, thinking why do I know that? Yeah <laughs> um, Charlie's War is like a legendary sort of World War 1 strip really really good um, and and these were just sort of two random things that kind of happened around the same time the uh, World War I yeah. 1 script kind of came into being and then we were talking to Pat and we we did we already, we'd already interviewed him but we uh, myself and the other producer were having a, a beer with him he' we was signing in London we had we were having a beer with him one afternoon and I was just like I'm going to ask Pat about Charlie's war and how he researched it um, so I just sort of said what what reference what, what research materials did you use for it and he just gave me a few books that that were, had been very useful to him okay um and he was like read this read this read this and uh, which I which I did and they were invaluable so uh there was one called um i deep in hell um and now I've gone completely blank on what the other one was called um but they were great books, you know, a lot of them were based on letters written by the Tommy's okay. in the Trenches and all this kind of thing, my like first-hand accounts, just really useful just on the day-to-day yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I kind of devoured those and, and, and they were really helpful. And then the rest of it is just you have to trust in your ability to kind of write believable characters and it's like, all right, I've never been in the trenches, I've never been in war, but hopefully I can project myself into mm-hmm. that situation with enough of the sort of surface details and the research done that I can kind of come up with believable stuff in that scenario. So that's what I did. Um, and, and so far, the responses have been really good. So, you know, like i say... Well, good luck with that. <laughs> Touch wood. I'm hoping that'll all come together next yeah. year.
1: Now, this is me indulging myself, but I've <laughs> in me, the listener as well. Uh, the last time we spoke, which for, for a different publication, but you, you gave me a top tip of Let's Go Jessica to Death a great American American indie hmm. from what's 1970? 72 I think 71, 72 something like that um, which I've never i never heard of and watched it and it's actually fantastic so I'm going to now ask given we're Britflix to where uh, and we're interested in British cinema so an interesting and often or often overlooked British horror film that's that's important to you as a horror fan
2: I don't know if I can spring anything on you as uh, to the extent of "Let's Get Jessica to Death," which you haven't heard of. Uh, but a couple of the smaller British films. Well, the one, the one, the one British film that I probably of like smaller British horror movie that some people haven't heard of. I don't know quite how obscure it is, but I know not everyone's seen it. Um, that I prize Is Deathline?
1: No, I've not. Have you not? Okay. All right. Well, then you. Okay. check out (laughs)
2: Deathline, Um, (laughs) Deathline in a way actually is kind of, to some extent, also feeds into my little death episode. Okay. Which I hadn't really thought about until someone pointed it out to me, and I was kind of like, yeah, you might be right there. Deathline is um, set on the underground. Um, when is it from, Deathline? It's like early 70s. Oh, really? Again, Yeah, that's what it is. 74, I think it you is. got a box, then,
1: from 74. <laughs> to, uh,
2: to <laughs> look, 70s for me is like the great cinema <laughs> period, not just horror and just across the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, essentially, I mean, you know Creep. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Creep ripped off Deathline, something chronic. Oh, okay, okay. Basically. Uh, it's an un- unacknowledged remake of Deathline. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's set on the underground. It's basically about a bunch of um, workers got got uh, trapped down in the underground while they were digging the tunnels. There was a cave in, and a bunch of them got trapped down there and were never rescued. Um, and so there's like a generation of them that have grown up underground. Wow. Um, and resorted to cannibalism to stay alive. It's um, a British film. It's a British film, it's it's yeah. Directed by an American. Um, oh, but it 's okay. one of those that much like something like um, American Wealth in London, yeah. it's directed by an American who brings a real eye to London okay, okay they 're okay. not from here and so yeah, yeah, yeah. but it 's also got and it 's a really good, really interesting quirky little film and it 's got a really interesting sort of left wing slant to it it 's all about these workers sort of the way they 're yeah. exploited by the powers of being and all this sort of thing but it 's also got what might be the best donald presidentson 's performance there, there is well, in enough. horror. Because he's not, he's actually like pretty much the lead role in this. He's not like his usual supporting character or whatever. He plays the cop that investigates it. And it's such an eccentric, weird, funny performance. It's just, for my money, probably the best thing he ever did. It's great. Okay. Um, and it has like an old Christopher Lee cameo in it where he shows up for one scene and he's kind of a representative from MI5 who are trying to hush this whole thing up. And you've got. Pleasance as the working class copper, and you've got Christopher Lee as the sort of aristocratic MI5 suit, and they kind of like eyeball each other in this scene. And it's just a real, yeah, it's a, it's, a, a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great film, and it's also brilliantly made. Yeah. Mm. There's one, uh, one scene in it which is a, like an extended take, which goes on for about eight or nine minutes. Um, back in the days before they had Steadicam or anything like that, yeah. and it's just kind of a tour of the cannibals' lair, and it's a brilliant, brilliantly extended take. Um, yeah, this film, this film is so good on so many levels. So okay. I'm, gl- I'm glad you haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, you'll yeah. check it out and uh, yeah, like
1: that well, one. There's nothing more certain. <laughs> certain nothing more certain. <laughs> And then finally, for a bit of fun, um, if it was, and, and this isn't to say the film you're going to say should be rebooted. It's more if you could, re- if you get your hands on any film and, and do it yourself.
2: Well, what would you like to reboot as a right director? <laughs> I kind of hesitate to say it because it's something that we have actually spoken about and that I'd really like to do, um, but we're, it's, we're, it's not anywhere close to happening at this moment in time, but it's definitely something that might happen. Mm. Um, myself and the esteemed Kim Newman mm. have spoken about doing a remake of The Beast Must Die. Oh, really? Yeah, with what with the with, with, with well, with, we wanted with the to, I, not not with the werewolf break right necessarily. <laughs> Although we have spoken about find, finding an interesting way to do it, but uh, not quite in that not quite in that fashion. Um, I just always always struck me as a really great idea as like you mm. know the sort of it werewolf movie. Yeah. It was like who is the werewolf? Mm. And that cross between like a country house murder mystery mm. and a horror movie. Um, and so I'd always kind of and then you know and I'd, I'd seen it as a kid and you know it's stuck in my head and then you go back and watch it and you go it's actually not that good mm. but it's a great idea and those are the kind of movies you should be remaking mm. and I was mm. at a party with Kim one, one day and I sort of mentioned this and he was like I'll write it for you and I was like okay <laughs> so, we, <laughs> so we have kind of spoken about it and we got as far as sort of tracking down the rights and this kind of thing and it's just that it's the kind of thing where I need a bit more money to do it because what we want to do is actually go back to the original story as well, because it's based on a novella, um, and we want to take elements from the novella and elements from the film and do a bit of both. And we actually want to, the novellas was written in the fifties, and we actually kind of want to go back to the fifties and do it there as a sort of oh, post, okay. as a sort of post-war. Because it is a bit
1: of a kind of dystopian future, isn't it? you the, the, the security. It's a little thing. bit. It's a little bit weird, yeah.
2: Whereas we we kind of like the idea of doing it as, um, as getting that sort of class element in there and having it kind of be the sort of dying gasps of the uh, aristocracy after World oh, War enough. Two. Um so but obviously that kind of thing takes money, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's definitely something we've spoken about, something I do really want to do. Um, I'm just hoping no one listens to this and nicks the idea, but um, but yeah, that's my that's that's what I want to do, that's what I'd like to do, and what I will hopefully one day do. Fantastic. Well look Sean, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me.
1: It's the Bricklinks.com podcast.
0: Come podcast Hey y'all, Darius
1: Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me what inspires your music. And one of the big things is
2: a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer.